after that, if it's divergent from that, it's error. So we're going to talk about the errors that, that we can see in church history. And so today we're going to talk about the errors that they dealt with in the early church. You know, people say, well, why can't the church be today like it was in the Bible? Well, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the Bible, that happened in the New Testament church that happens today. They had trouble, they had division, they had fighting, they had heresy, false doctrines, false prophets, false teachers. That happened in the early church, and it still happens today. So our, our, our text we're going to begin from today is Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Everybody say salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Everybody say contend. Can somebody tell me why we need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Why do I need to contend for it? What? We do need to pass it down, but the reason why we need to contend for it is for there to be contention, there has to be two sides. And so you have truth contending with error. You have the original contending with the, the, the not original. And so the reason for our need to contend, and even to the point of being contentious, is that we must contend for what is in the Word of God, that which was originally given to the saints. When we read church history, it's important to keep in mind that the scriptural record is the pattern and perfect, and everything that deviates uh, from that is divergent. Our goal is to stay to the original pattern. The approach is the model church, and the correct doctrine was that which was preached by the apostles in the book of Acts and explained in the Ephesians of Romans all the way through the book of Revelation. It's the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Y'all know that song? The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. That, that is our founding document. And anything that discounts or doubts this document is an error. 2 Timothy 3 and 15. And that ye from a child that ye that and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto what's it say? Salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, read it with me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture. Now, the challenge is... If you spend any time talking to religious people, you'll find everybody has their favorite scripture, and oftentimes their favorite scripture would discount another scripture. But it's all scripture, right? And so the truth begins to be twisted when men insert their opinion, their rationalization, their doubt into the calculus of doctrine. 
Jesus made this pro- pro- proclamation that we sh- that should focus our sense of purpose and importance when we consider doctrine in relationship to Scripture versus tradition. Uh, Mark 7 and 13, read it with me. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things you do. Jesus said, tradition has the ability to make the word of God have no influence on your life. Jesus was speaking to the Jews. He was speaking to the Pharisees. He was speaking to the Sadducees. He was speaking to God's people. And he told God's people, your tradition is discounting, canceling out the Word of God. Brother Jones and I, a number of years ago, we had an opportunity and we went to the Jewish synagogue here in the Jackson area called Beth Israel. And they were offering free Hebrew lessons, Hebrew classes, there at the synagogue. And so for about six months, we had a little book, and we sat there with, we were the only non-Jewish people there, and we sat there with Jewish people learning the, the alphabet of, of Hebrew, learning the meaning of each letter, because it's a, it's a pictorial-type language. Each letter has a meaning. And you put those letters together, you get a compound meaning. It's really amazing. And I learned all kinds of stuff about modern Judaism that I didn't know. I just thought I knew about the Jews because I read the Bible and Jesus was a Jew and Paul was a Jew. And the whole Bible's written about Jews and from Jews. And But I, I was amazed the things that I learned. And the most significant thing I learned through going to these Hebrew classes at the Jewish synagogue was one day someone was telling us a story about the rabbi on that Sunday had talked about Abraham and Isaac. And the rabbi had said that Isaac was a special needs child. And that's why Isaac didn't resist his father offering him as a sacrifice. And so I'm like, I asked, I said, that's not really what the Bible says. And I asked the lady, she's teaching the Hebrew class. And I said, have you read the story? And this blew my mind. I said, have you read the story about Abraham and Isaac? And she said, I have to confess, I've never read it. Never. Abraham and Isaac, that's the root of Judaism. That's where the root of Jewish religion comes from. And the teacher of the Hebrew class at the, said to me, she said, we call ourselves the people of the book, but we never read it. And I, okay, my mind's like blown out the door. And I said, so, so do, do, do y'all believe in absolute truth? And, and to a person, every person around that table, there's probably about 25 of us who are around this big table. I said, do y'all believe in absolute truth? And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, if the Bible says it, that is absolutely true. And they said, no, we do not believe that. We believe truth is in the interpretation of the text. So whatever our rabbi tells us that the scripture means, that is the truth, not what's written. And all of, a understood, all of a sudden, I understood why Jews are Democrats. <laughs> because they don't take 
They don't take stuff literal. They just, it's uh, situational ethics, however you want to apply it. I, you know, I, I wasn't really meaning that quite as political. It's just a joke, really. But here's the deal. That is why when Jesus came, the Jews didn't know him. They, they, they did, the, the word told so many things that those that would have been looking should have been able to see Jesus for who he was. But the Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not. And so when Jesus said, ye through your tradition have totally discounted the scripture, and if you understand, if you went to a, a, a rabbi's house or went to an old synagogue, you would find a little like a... a uh, like a safe where they keep the scrolls, but you would find there are, uh, I can't really overstate this, there are tens of thousands of Jewish tradition that it casts a far greater shadow on Jewish thought than the actual text of the Scripture. And so when Jesus said that, to really fully grasp it, because you'll hear all kinds of stuff. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, Jewish tradition says, and what follows is often nothing more than a fairy tale. Because there's all kinds of crazy stuff that is written as an interpretation of the Talmud or the Torah. And, and so we have to recognize that that same mentality is why Christianity is so divided is people don't read the Bible for what it says and believe it for what it says. They believe what the Bible says based upon what somebody told them about what the Bible says. And so when we look at church history, we have to understand that same error of, of supplementing, supplanting what the Bible says to what I think or what I say, that started in Genesis 3. The conversation with Adam and Eve and, and the serpent. He basically added one word. Thou shalt not surely die. So the lie of the devil was, what God said is not absolute. God will not punish you. And it's good stuff. So with the doubt, it's uh, introduced into Eve's mind, she began to look at the fruit and she said, hmm, I've never really thought of it as food. I just thought of it as something we weren't supposed to do. But you know, it looks mighty tasty. It sure is pretty. And it's going to make me smarter. Give me access to something I've never had. So she took a crunch. And she said, ooh, that really is good. And she turns around to Adam. He's standing there right with him. A lot of people blame Eve. It's both their fault. He's standing right there with her. He took a bite. And immediately their eyes were opened. And it wasn't open to good. They went from innocent to, to condemnation in a moment. And, and that is why we have so many churches. Is because somewhere in many places... People have inserted a simple word into the text, encouraged people to discount, diminish, and uh, rationalize the word of God to where God, God won't judge me. 
would a loving God send people to hell? I mean, have we all heard this, right? And so we have to recognize, when we look at church history, this is the rule. And it doesn't matter what I say, or uh, Brother Ryan says, or, or uh, David Menard says. I think I'm an alright guy. My mom thinks I'm awesome. Brother, Brother Ryan's a great guy. His mama thinks he's awesome. David Bernard's a great guy, and I'm sure his mama thought he's awesome. I think he's awesome. But if any one of those or anybody begins to discount what the Scripture says, it doesn't matter how awesome they are. The Word of God is where we get our doctrine. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that which leadeth to life, and few there be that... What's it say? Everybody say, find it. You know why a lot of people don't get saved? They ain't looking. You're not going to accidentally get saved. It doesn't matter if your mama and daddy brought you to church since you was a baby one day out of the hospital. If you don't get hungry for it set yourself, you can't get saved on your daddy's faith. The only way I'm going to get saved, my kids are going to get saved, my grandkids are going to get saved, my dad got saved, anybody gets saved, is because they decide... I want what God has for me. And where am I going to find it? I, no doubt most of what we learn is through the preaching. Faith comes by preaching, preaching the word of God. But if what's been preached is a lie, that ain't going to save you. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that gets preached. And you can believe it, but if what is preached is not backed up the word of God, it's not going to do you any good. And so how, how do we know what's being preached is true? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Matthew 24 and 4, and there's a number of scriptures here in Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24 and 4, read it with me. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Verse 24, and there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So why do we have so many denominations, so many traditions? Because there have been and there are and shall be false teachers, false prophets teaching damnable heresies and people will be deceived. Even, the Bible says, even the elect can be deceived. How many of you want to be saved? Don't believe a lie. How are you going to know what's truth in a lie? Is it in the Word of God? So it happened in the Old Testament. Micah 3 and 11 uh, says, The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet they will... they they. Will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Is that not what we have? I mean, uh, you can get prosperity washcloths for $19.99. You can get holy water for $49.99. For $7,000 seed, you can send it in and God's going to bless you. There is, uh, gain is godliness. The prosperity message. You want to be blessed, it doesn't matter what you do, don't matter how you live. If you, if you, if you send this in, it... All the stuff you do, you can be saved if you just give God a little bit of money. That is a lie. 
But do you know there's preachers getting incredibly wealthy because people love that message. Some easy thing. I think it was a, I think it was a, I forget who, who the Lord said this to, but he said, you know, if I asked you to do some great thing, you know, climb up a mountain or go to a far place, you'd do that. But what I'm asking you to do is very simple. It's choosing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. It is making a personal decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve God. Whatever God has for me. This morning while I was praying, I, I, I was praying about, Lord, what is the one thing that is missing in my life? You know, Jesus had the rich young ruler come to him and said, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what, you know, what are the commandments? And he, you know, thou shalt not lie, the Ten Commandments. And, and the man said, um, I've done all that. I'm, I'm doing that. And Jesus said, that's good. One thing you lack. And the error of modern Christianity is, is focused on complimenting people on the things they do and silent on the things that they need to do. You're a winner. <laughs> You're a conqueror. You're best in life now. They, they, they're not challenging people with a message of conviction to say, you're doing good there, but let's work on this one thing. What's the one thing? How many of you confess there's probably at least one thing that you need to work on? Anybody? Me? Lord, help us. Help me. Mark 13, 22. For false Christ and false prophets shall arise and shall signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible even the elect. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3 but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies even the denying the Lord that bought them and bring into themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious way by reason of whom the way of truth shall be even evil spoken of and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not. Beware. And I think that in this apostolic day, preaching to apostolic saints, if you have got any awareness of what's happened in our movement over the past 50 years, there's been a whole lot of false teachers and false prophets and people that have led people astray into an easier way. And the end of that is destruction. The church that I spent my teenage years, wonderful people, prayerful people, loving people, giving people, but because of offense and conflict and compromise, that church today is not an apostolic church today. And many of those people I grew up with, elders and children, no longer even have a consciousness of apostolic truth because somebody came in and began to rationalize what the Word of God says to something that says, well, the Word of God doesn't really mean that. God won't judge you. The original deception is still happening today. And so the top, uh, I guess uh, 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Galatians 1 and 6, I marvel 
that ye are so removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you that would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say we now, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. So have I established the fact there are false teachers, false prophets, and false doctrines? Even in the days of the New Testament church, there was doctrines of devils. There's three kinds of doctrine. Truth. True teaching. True biblical teaching. It's grounded in the scripture. There's true doctrine. Second kind of doctrine are doctrines of men. Uh, it, it may not be uh, from hell, but it's from the mind of man, which often rationalizes what they are teaching, and it's often in direct contradiction to what the Bible says. And the third kind of doctrine is a doctrine of devils. And it finds its root in the original deception of the serpent in the garden. So, the three top errors of the early church. Uh, the first error was a product of the great challenge of the Jews dealing with the New Testament experience. For thousands of years, the Jewish people, who were God's covenant people, were given a system of approach to God that was about sacrifice. The Lord gave Moses the tabernacle system, and there was a priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, and the Levitical priesthood, and they were God's chosen families that operated in the ministry of representing God to the people and representing pe the people to God. It was a, it was a, uh, 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 that was their job. And that's what they did. And they didn't choose it. They were born into it. It was literally a, who's your daddy? You want to be a priest? Is your daddy connected to Levi? Is your daddy connected to Aaron? And if you weren't related, you, if you weren't related to one of those, you could never even step beyond the gate. Everybody else had to stay on the outside. But if you were connected, even by thousands of years later, by your 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 genetic connection to Aaron and Levi, you could enter into a certain place and into the holiest place. Only one man of the family of Aaron could go to that place once a year. And that was the system. If you wanted to have peace with God and want to be blessed, uh, once a year there had to be a Passover lamb. You'd take a lamb and it would be offered as a sacrifice to the Lord and you would eat it, you'd put blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And if you didn't do that, you'd be cut off from the people. Uh, when you were born uh, and you were a boy at eight days old, they would circumcise you. There were things you had to do. And if you did not do that, you were no longer a part of God's covenant people. That was in them. It's like barbecue for a southern person. That's who you are. And so when Jesus came, what Jesus did was hard for them to understand. It's like, like Peter's praying on top of the house. Y'all remember the story in Acts chapter uh, uh, 10? He's praying on the house and he has a vision and this great big sheet lets down and there's 
there's pigs and, and crawfish and catfish and all these unclean foods that the Jew was forbidden to eat. And the voice from heaven says to Peter, the Jew, rise, slay, and eat. And Peter's like, no way. I have never put anything common or unclean in my mouth. I ain't eating that. Why? Because that was his identity. That was his religion. That was his faith. I'm not eating that. The voice says, don't you call common or unclean what I've sanctified. He has the same vision again. Sheet lets down, catfish and, and pigs and, you know, all this unclean stuff. And the voice says, rise, slay, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I have never had anything common or unclean enter my mouth. And the voice says, don't call that common or unclean what I've sanctified. Peter's probably like, this is so weird. I don't know what this is about. She lets down again, rise, slay, and eat. And, and the Lord says, I'm a, there's about somebody knock on your door and they're going to blow your mind. Because they believe that the New Testament, Jesus came to save the Jews. And so Peter's had this vision. Somebody knocks on the door, they take him by the hand, and they lead him into the house of a Gentile. The Jews wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. And here God has sent him to this prominent Jew, and he walks into his house, and there's a house full of Gentiles. And this Gentile says, an angel came to me. And the angel said to me, send for Peter. He'll tell you what you need to do. And no doubt, I, be, I, bet, I bet Peter had goosebumps all over his body when they, he told about that I mean my hair stands up just thinking about it you saw an angel and the angel said I need to tell you what you need to do and Peter's like is he talking about Acts 2 <laughs> what I said back in Acts 2 and so Peter says I perceive that in every nation those that fear God need to hear the message about Jesus. And while Peter yet preaches the word, the Bible says the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the Jews that came with Peter were like, Oh my Lord! The Gentiles are getting the Holy Ghost like we did. I'm telling you, their mind was blown. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter looks at the Jews and say, Can any man forbid water? Seeing they have received the Holy Ghost just like we did. Acts chapter 2. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. So the point of that is that it was very hard for the Jews to come out of a tradition that God gave them. God gave them the law. God said you need to be circumcised. God said you need to keep the Sabbath. God said you don't need to eat unclean meat. You don't need to touch a dead body. There were all these Levitical laws that were wrapped up in being an Old Testament believer. And Jesus came and we understand the Lord let the apostles know so much of that has passed away. You don't need a priest anymore because I am the priest. You don't need a lamb to be slain anymore because I am the lamb. You don't need a high priest anymore because I am the high priest. Everything, so much of what was in the old covenant was passed away.
But if somebody was coming to tell you, it's, it, it's, it's a cultural thing. If somebody came to you, and I, I, just being a southern person, somebody came to me and said to me, I'm trying to make it, because there's not many, you know, absolute don't do's in the South. I, and a lot of them, they, they don't, it's not taught anymore. But let's just say you got to do's if you're in the South. If somebody came to you and said, you can't eat fried chicken no more because Jesus saved you, I'd be like, shut your mouth. And, and, and I can't think of something uh, that, that is even, even close to that. Can somebody think of something you absolutely don't do if you're a southern person? What? Drink unsweet tea. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling you. But, but here is a, it's a revolution. I mean, Peter preached something he didn't even understand. He didn't believe it yet. Jesus, uh, Peter said, For the promises unto you and to your children and all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He preached it. He didn't know it or believe it. But here he is in Acts 10. Acts 8, the Samaritans got saved. That was hard. They were a half-breed. They were part Jew, part Syrian. And there was great enmity there. And God sent a great revival to the Samaritans. Now God's pouring out the Holy Ghost on just uncircumcised Gentiles. And so there was a conflict in the early church that says, well, I was circumcised the eighth day. And here's these Gentiles. You got the Holy Ghost? Great. You got baptized in Jesus' name? Awesome. But you got to get circumcised. That'd be tough to do. And that's what they were trying to do. Then they'd say, you know, you got to stop eating pork. You got to stop eating catfish. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing all this. And there was a great conflict. You find it in, uh, in the book of Acts where there's a council in Jerusalem and they came together because you had the Jewish believers that were Jews that got the Holy Ghost, that were born again, and they loved Jesus. And they see all these Gentiles who got the Holy Ghost, they got baptized, they love Jesus, but they think you need to become a Jew. You need to start keeping the law. And there was great conflict. But the Lord used Paul in particular, but the other apostles perceived it as well, that, that so much that was in the Old Testament was done away with in Jesus. Now the Ten Commandments are still in effect with the exception of the Sabbath and how we keep the Sabbath is that Sabbath is no longer a day. Sabbath is, a, is, a, is an experience. Sabbath is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And when you get Jesus, you can celebrate the Sabbath every day. And truth of the matter is we celebrate the rest on the first day of the week because it's the day that the Lord of the Sabbath was raised from the dead. We are no longer bound in the Old Testament whose greatest day was the last day of the week. We now are liberated in the grace of God that starts on the first day of the week. Come on, somebody. Our week starts on the first day. It don't end on the last day. That's deep. So, so the Judaizers... They reached a point that Paul even said they are an enemy of the cross because they are saying, you got to do all this and do this. And, the, and Peter, uh, Peter uh, Paul in particular said, read the book of Galatians. If you are, have any doubt of what I'm saying to you today concerning 
the Judaizers and how the Lord fulfilled the law, just read the book of Galatians. Read the book of Hebrews. It demonstrates that we have a new covenant that is a better covenant. We have new promises which are better promises. The law was not done away with. The law was fulfilled. That's the top, the top error of the New Testament church. The second error, uh, and we see that. We, I see people uh, all over Facebook telling people how they need to keep the Sabbath. When the Sabbath is only mentioned one time in all of the epistles, the one time in the epistles the Sabbath is mentioned is in Colossians 2 and 15. And let's read it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days which are a shadow of the things to come but the body is of Christ. So the origin of legalism was literally the law. God never intended Christianity to become Old Testament 2.0. The New Testament fully replaced the Old Testament. Okay, I'm going to try to finish these next two. The Nicolaitans. Revelations 2 and 6, Revelations 2.15, we are introduced to a doctrine and deeds of the Nicolaitans. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This is Jesus speaking. Revelation 2.15, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And uh, I've done some studying and I have read other people's resources and I believe that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is very similar to the doctrine of once saved, always saved. And that doctrine, the Nicolaitans taught, Nicholas, he was known for a doctrine that believed that salvation was internal and could not be harmed by what happened in your body. He declared that Christians, since they were saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. This teaching would later uh, be surfaced in what we know as the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved, and even the practice of the confessional, confessing to a priest while still living in sin. And that was, and you see that today in spades. You have rock stars, rap stars, uh, country stars, living like the devil and singing Amazing Grace. Just because you sing a song don't mean you're saved. Just because you can say the name Jesus don't mean you're not going to hell. And I get a witness. But a lot of people believe that. And the deal is, that's what they've been taught. It's not that they're trying to be rebellious. They have been taught that all their life. You know, when you're seven years old and you prayed a prayer of faith and you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, there is nothing you can do to be lost. And they believe that. But it is a damnable and pernicious lie from hell. And there's going to be a lot of very sincere people going to find out they were sold a false bill of goods. I'm not judging them. God will judge them. But if the Word of God is true, how many believe the Word of God is true? The Bible says all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. And it gives a long list. If you do these things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues on Monday see visions on Tuesday, get prophecy on Wednesday, and, and, and uh, 
have a Holy Ghost dream on Thursday. It doesn't matter if you are living in a way that is in contradictory to the Scripture, you can't be saved. I'm sorry. That's what the Bible says. And if we get to heaven, Jesus says, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Joke. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Am I going to be sad? No. If I get to heaven and see people there that, that based on what I read in the Scripture, I'm gonna, I'd be surprised. I'm not going to be sad. But how many people will be sad if they've been told all their life all they got to do is this to be saved and they get up there and the Lord says, I, I'm looking in my book here and I, I, I don't find you in here. It's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and all those false preachers are going to be swimming and falling as fast as they can because there's going to be a lot of people after them for all the lies that they believe and told others. And the final one here, wrapping up. Uh, one of the most pernicious and uh, consistent deceptions of false... Y'all get that? Because Apple don't know the answer. It's found in the Word of God. It's concerning the nature of Jesus Christ. First John chapter 4 and verse 1. You want to read it with me? Beloved... Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Hereby ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. Antichrist. It, the nature of God and who Jesus is is the most common and often the beginning and how you can know what's being preached is error. I remember one time I was in a, a very spiritual, intense environment it was a, a six days of prayer and fasting. We were sleeping in Sunday school rooms, and there's probably 50 or 60 preachers there, and and uh, we were locked in, shut in, and uh, we'd get up early in the morning, go down there and pray, and hear lots of preaching and teaching, and there was prophesying. It was it was it was wild, and it was apostolic people. And uh, I, I, one one evening, late at night, I had this guy was talking. And I got engaged in the conversation. He was saying, he's saying, what you believe about Jesus is wrong. And he was telling me that Jesus did not come in human flesh. He was saying that Jesus was really, had a spiritual body. He wasn't human flesh. And I mean, it's, it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. I've been up all day. I've been, you know, I hadn't eaten. I'm not feeling just sharp and... But he, what he said, it wasn't a long conversation, but being troubled, my spirit, just like, Jesus, how do I answer that? And I went to my little air mattress, squeaked around, and finally went to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I, I either had a dream or I woke up and had a vision. And I, I, so this has only happened a few, maybe one or two other times in my life. And I saw, as it were, a, a, a reader board with the words streaming across the screen 
And it was it was this scripture, First John, uh, verse two and three. So I want you to say, First John, two and three. Just ran across the board. And and I'll be honest, I'm like, that's so weird. So I get up, it's in the dark. We don't have cell phones then. You know, now if that happened, I can like pull up my phone and I had to get up, walk through the dark, have my Bible, open the door of the hallway and the lights on, kind of straining, and I opened my Bible and I turned to it and I read that. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is that spirit of Antichrist. And I felt the Holy Ghost. My hair stood up on top of my head. I'm like, oh, have I got an answer for this man? And just a little bit later in the day, I, I caught him. I said, hey, I, I want to show you scripture that the Lord gave me. And I explained it to him like I did you. And I opened up the Bible and I turned to I said, I just want you to read this. And I turned it over and I said, can you read that out loud to me? And uh, he read that and he got so angry at me. And uh, he, he, by their fruits you shall know them. Immediately, he just manifested what he was. And that was a very significant false doctrine being taught among the apostolic churches. There, there were people actually going and trying to rebaptize people because they believed Jesus came in flesh and not in a spiritual body. And our organization actually had to vote that if you believe this, you can't hold license. And it was a pretty divisive thing. Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Sometimes things are worth standing up for. And I remember when I heard it, it's the first time I'd ever heard it. I called my, general, my district superintendent, which was G.R. Travis. And I was wound up. I said, brother, because this person was connected to a very famous individual, connected to other famous individuals, and they're spreading it. And I said, this is wrong. There's something wrong with this. And Brother Travis gave me someone else's number that was another general board member of the UPC. And I called him, and he was like, well, you know, this is kind of where he's from. And, 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 and I, I, before it ever reached a general conference, I, I was just some young whippersnapper of a Mississippi preacher saying, hey, here's trouble. It took him five years to finally deal with it. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter who it comes from. If it's, if it's in contradiction to Scripture, and when we get down to it, the revelation of the nature of God and who God is, Jesus is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. He was in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. And so those are three, three of the most three top false doctrines of the early church. So when we think of church history, those same errors that were happening in the Bible are still today. There's still people don't believe that Jesus is God. Some people believe Jesus is an angel. Some people believe Jesus is only a man. Some people believe that Jesus, uh, uh, you know, there's all kinds of false beliefs. But if you want to know who Jesus is, Jesus is the visible of the invisible, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Somebody say praise the Lord. I really intended for questions, but I got wound up. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your word. God, help us, Lord Jesus, to be grounded and stay grounded on the foundation of the church, which is the apostles and the prophets. Give us discernment and help us, Lord, know when we are being confronted with that which is false, that which is a doctrine of men or a doctrine of devils. Lord, help us to know the word of God, that we are not deceived and led astray. Everybody said in Jesus' name. We have a cake uh, raffle, uh, and uh, if, if, you, if you just want to give money and don't want a cake,